Right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back for part two of our discussion uh, of the Malayan Film Unit. I have uh, with us here Encik Hassan Mutalib, who has been dropping knowledge all day long um, on my good self over the past one hour or so. But we do have another part of the discussion uh, that, that we'll still get to right about now. Um, earlier on, Encik Hassan, you mentioned about... Um, a bit of the German connection per se, but how, you know, you started to look at that, uh, the, the British looked at how the Nazis uh, did their stuff um, in the context of the Second World War. You know, when you mentioned that, I'm thinking of someone like Lenny Reifenstahl, who made um, some wonderful films, Crime for the Will, if I'm not mistaken, was a documentary that was so conflicting for me to watch uh, the first time I saw it, because on the one hand, I thought, oh, wow, this is great. But on the other hand, it's kind of like glorifying something that I'm not so big a fan of, you know, to put it mildly. Um, but but there's a lot of good stuff there, all the same. Um, so so there is a bit of that. Um, and uh, the connection that I'm trying to make here is between that context and uh, Hugh Carlton Green, um, who was, uh, as you noted in your paper, then the Staff Officer of Emergency Oper Operations. Uh, but previously, he was the head of the German service for the BBC. Now, his approach in, in the context of the Malayan film, you know, is to give a suggestion that the best way forward is to coat the pill of propaganda as a way of making it more palatable. Um, so basically to make it more entertaining, to prioritize that um, as, as one of the key factors in making the film maybe more effective, therefore, um, as, as a way of uh, pro uh, propagating a certain message. Um, how well did this work, uh, in your opinion, compared to some of the um, you know, the more straightforward or the more direct documentary or training video approach? Okay, there are four ways uh, to present a documentary. One is the journalistic mm -hmm. approach, where everything is very dry and just, you know, uh, you explain it as it is. Mm. The second approach is the story approach, mm. uh, where, uh, you know, uh, the symphonic. The symphonic is like uh, Mandi Sapa, mm. where there's absolutely no narration. Mm. Even if there is narration, it will be in a sing-song manner or in a poetic manner. Mm. Do not uh, not describing what is on the screen. Uh, mm. These are the kind of films that will win awards. The mm. third approach is the story approach, where you come to a place, you use the people in that location as your actors. Mm. You tell them to go from here to there, uh, do this, do that, and it looks as if they are at their daily uh, work. The mm. fourth approach is docudrama, where you have professional actors acting to... Uh, scripted, <clears throat> uh, something that is scripted, mm. and, uh, and then of course uh, we know the actors, and ultimately certain certain things come across, which is their intention. And uh, this film made for Brunei by Malayan Film Unit uh, at that time it was already uh, Film Negara. It's called Gema Dari Menara. They mm. are saying it is the first feature film. I said no, it is a docudrama. Why? Mm. Because there is a clear message, which is about religion, uh, being aimed to get across using professional actors. So mm. the dialogue is very, very stilted. The acting, of course, is really, really bad. So I would say that Ada Apa Dengan Rina, made by Regal Blue, mm. uh, is actually the first film. So we have to be careful in this nomenclature. Mm. Uh, so uh, the Blade Film Unit used all four approaches. Hmm. And sometimes you will see that in Discovery Channel or National Geographic, sometimes in one film, they have all four inside. Yeah. And I think this is to cater to different levels of audiences. Hmm. So uh, 
there are firms that are very direct. For instance, Mission to Merdeka is mm. a journalistic approach. It's a mm. recording of something that happened, and then the voiceover tells you this happened, that happened, and so on. So mm. it's very straightforward. Mm. Uh, the symphonic approach, the example is uh, Mandi Safar. Okay? Mm. So we do not know actually what is going on. In the symphonic approach, we do not know the problems of the community and so on, but you get a very nice feeling by watching it. Mm. Now, the story approach would be in most of the films mm. where they tell uh, the, the people to walk from here to there, like uh, our new home. They will, whenever they wanted a certain scene, maybe somebody, you know, uh, watching something or building something, they will tell them to do it. Mm. So it is not actually a documentary. So it is a constructed documentary. Mm. And uh, the docudrama will be like, uh, uh, what do you call, um, uh, parts of the Red Book. Mm. Red Book uh, was made in 1974, first time uh, Prime Minister acting, uh, Tun Razak. Yes. And it was directed by a South African director called John Bonacott. And he was sponsored by the Malayan Tobacco Company, if I'm not mistaken. It was in cinema. Beautifully done. Mm. I remember uh, that. So I, I remember that if, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was a scene of a helicopter landing in the somewhere in the countryside, yes. and it was, it was impressive. You're absolutely right. And that was actually a reconstruction of something that actually happened. Now it hmm. seems that they had cleared the road somewhere in Kedah, in the jungle, hmm. and there is this one house of an old Malay woman. She refused to move, <laughs> and so. They created the scene of Tun Raza arriving with the helicopter and then they constructed the scene in such a manner that Tun Raza comes down and she is standing there defiantly and then he comes and then he shakes hands with her, she invites him up to the house and then he tells her about what was going to be done for the country and so on and then we will see all the developments taking place. That was very clever. Mm, it so was. I, I agree with you that the use of entertainment in fact, everybody does this. Even uh, alternative film directors, whether they admit it or not, they are doing mm. the same thing. So they have certain actors, maybe some are popular actors, they mm. take them for their films. So even though it's not structured like a genre film, but mm. still they are using the entertainment value, which is about telling of a story to get across something. So number one is entertainment. Number two, uh, you have something to get across. Number three, it reflects the, the culture of a people or a nation. So mm. if all these three are there, it's a good film. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the, the allure of these films. As much as for someone like myself, you know, I start to watch it in part to see how, um, how our lives were like back then. Um, in, in some cases, like Mandi Safar, Rohani Steps Out, for instance, you, you, you do feel like you want to get into the story and you do kind of get drawn into like, even though these are some, some relatively simple, you know, beginning, middle, end kind of stuff, you kind of get drawn into some of these um, stories, at least for my part. And one of the stories that I kind of want to get more of your opinion about is uh, the film of Abu Nawas. You noted this earlier on as uh, Malaya's first feature film. Um, do you mean like something that was produced uh, by the MFU as the first feature film from the MFU, per se? Yeah. Uh, right. Slide number 33. Yes, this one. Yeah. Slide 33 is the shoot in uh, Negeri Sembilan. 33, uh, yeah? I think near the, probably near the border with Malacca because quite a lot was shot in Malacca itself, Malacca town. 
So uh, the director is sitting there, uh, bottom photo, uh, Cyril Wendell. He was a contract director from London. Hmm. And uh, the Chinese guy uh, towards the left with the hat is uh, uh, Go Mingkui. Hmm. Uh, he was like one of the cameramen. Hmm. Uh, and Yi Miao Xiong was the chief cameraman who was standing in the middle behind the camera. Okay, yeah, so, I see. Uh, so uh, when Templar came, in 1952, he knew what needed to be done. So this story actually began in 1954 mm-hmm. uh, to shoot, and it took uh, quite a long time uh, to be finished. Now, uh, they knew that uh, the Malays enjoyed watching Malay films from Singapore. Mm-hmm. And the peculiar thing is, this director wanted a reference of a local uh, feature film so that mm-hmm. you know he knew how to go about it. Now they had nothing but the films from Singapore. Now in the 19, early 1950s, every time the f- a film began, in the first one minute, suddenly the hero or heroine will break into song. No reason at all. That's how uh, they began to make films in the early days. Only later it began to change. So mm-hmm. he must have seen those films. And in Abu Nawaz, uh, the heroine, uh, there's a young girl sitting <clears throat> Uh, near the paddy field, a uh, schoolgirl, and she's throwing a stone into the water, clearly mm-hmm. identifying the race with their uh, occupation. Yeah. And then the song comes over, and we see the heroine of the film, Nona Asia, very famous singer in Singapore, still alive. I met her a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, her husband, Ismail Mukasim, was also acting in the film. Uh, they fell in love on, on set and got married later. So the cinema again for you. Another success so, story after Rohani steps uh, out. <laughs> so uh, she comes out and hangs washing out to dry. And she's singing. Life is so good, something like that. And then uh, the sun is shining and the birds are chirping. And suddenly on the soundtrack, you hear all this chirping of birds suddenly. Mm. So that's how this director uh, copied uh, the films of those days. So the reason why I think they took the Singapore actors because they were already known. Now, even though these two were not actors but singers, but they were also well known because of their songs. So mm. they had never acted for Shaw Brothers, Ismail Mukasim and Nona Asia. Mm. So they acted in their film, and then they had two uh, composers from Singapore mm. uh, called Wan Lee Yazid and Zubair Sain to compose three songs. The first song was a solo, the second song was a duet, the third song was a group song at the end, where after the communists had been defeated, the hero and heroine marched together with the soldiers and uh, are singing that, that group song. So at the end, you can see it's really, really a propaganda film. But yeah. it is a feature film because of professional actors and with the proper script uh, being used, and it was also shot in location. Mm. And uh, yeah. Only one uh, scene was shot in the studio. They built a cave uh, near the house where I was staying in, in uh, Bukit Petaling, uh, called uh, Jalan Bellamy. Uh, it was an old colonial house. So they built a set of a cave. There was a scene where the communists take the kidnapped guys into the cave and uh, imprison them there. So, uh, and the, uh, it has the first visual effects ever made in Malaya. Mm. Uh, at that time, uh, there's a, a office with a window, and 
a man sitting at the desk gets a call that uh, uh, they need uh, uh, an aeroplane uh, to do some bombing or something like that. Hmm. And in the window, we see the airfield when actually there was no airfield. So that airfield was actually meted on uh, by using the animation camera as an optical printer in those days by Gilly Potter. Oh, wow. Again, the skills that we would see later on being utilized for films like Superman. So, mm. so that's an interesting lineage there that we can trace there. How, how many films are like uh, are there like Abu Nawas? Because um, just just thinking back a bit about the 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 uh, the communist um, subject matter being showcased uh, in in these films by the MFU, maybe just beyond MFU itself. I because I'm somebody asked me a question a few days ago about um, films looking at the Malayan emergency and featuring communism um, mm. in Bahasa Melayu uh, or Bahasa Malaysia. And just off the top of my head, when he asked me at the time, I just, you know, of course, the obvious suspects like uh, Fami Reza and Amir Muhammad jumps to mind. But but beyond a handful of films like this and, and maybe Abu Nawas, I couldn't think of any. Would you happen to know, Encik Hassan, of any other films in Bahasa Melayu that kind of really like Abu Nawas touches on communism in a more direct sense? No, there are none. This is the only one, the only feature uh, done in this manner. And uh, uh, I, I heard conflicting views. Uh, some said that it was never released. Some said that it was just shown for a very short while and withdrawn. And the reason, I think, is because uh, the communists were all Chinese. And uh, even though they had a Chinese guy coming to help the Malay couple uh, mm. who were being harassed by the communists. But mm. I think on the whole, it looked as if that the communists were all Chinese. So mm. he is the father of the of this uh, heroine uh, being shot in, the, in, the, in, a, in a set. Uh, that's him sitting right there in the center. Mm. So I think he was slapped by the communists or something like that. So I think he did not uh, spell... Uh, good uh, for the production itself. So they mm. probably didn't want to screen anymore. Mm. Okay. Um, but just so you know, uh, it is available on the official Finas uh, channel yeah. if, if you fancy watching it. There's quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of gems there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, for all the flack that Finas has received over the past number of years about all sorts of different things, um, if you do check out the YouTube channel, plenty of things there that's actually very very interesting. Uh, let, me add, like uh, let me add about the historical value of the films. Mm. Uh, imagine if we did not have a unit that had done all these films, a lot of our visual history would have been lost, mm. especially Merdeka, isn't it? Yeah, true, true. At the same time, though, I mean, just touching back a bit with what we talked about in the previous part of our discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at these films, they're great, but, at this, you know, it's also something that, now, because I'm at the stage of my life where I have a more uh, critical perspective, you know, with, with greater awareness of the reasons why these films are made and how certain things are shown and whatnot. I'm also aware, much like, um, when you watch Timeless Tamiya, for instance, you know, what you see is not really what you're getting. So I'm in this conflicted position where, you know, I like what I'm seeing, but it's not really... Um, the, the real life so-called as, as it probably would have been uh, beforehand. So so there's a bit of that conflict or dilemma that sometimes I find myself 
in. Um, I don't know whether you understand what I'm talking about or whether you feel the same, Jason. Um, what kind of advice would you have for someone like me, where you know we want to watch this, but it's kind of propaganda and whatnot? So, you know, um, how how do we take take this on board or consider this? Now, we have to accept the fact that history happens and certain things happen at a certain times, mm. and uh, uh, God has His grand designs, so mm. we cannot avoid it. But we can come to terms with many, many things. But what I cannot accept is the cover-up of a lot of things by the government, especially uh, the UMNO government, uh, because they wanted to maintain the image of the communists as public enemy number one because they associate it with DAP. And it's because of losing support with the Malays. So they want the Malays in their minds to identify uh, the DAP as bad elements as uh, the people who are going to destroy the religion, destroy the race, and so mm. on. Hardly the truth. It mm. may have been before May 13. Now, mm. the problem is the Chinese did not understand the culture of the Malays. That the one thing that you do not do to the Malays is drop their water face. If you, mm. it affects their marwa, out comes the craze, and they, they do not care who they kill. And this is what happened to a lot of the Malays during May 13. Mm. So they did not understand the culture of the Malays. But you see, the British, they understood. Why? Mm. Because they had people studying the Malays, and this is why people like Frank Swettenham and all, uh, other, other people have written about the Malays who were very prone to song. They will very easily break into song. And mm. they see the Chinese were very hardworking as compared to Malays. So you cannot blame them for having this uh, stereotype uh, idea of mm. the Malays because they saw it happening in front of them. Mm. Yeah, understood. I suppose maybe on, on some level, I, I just feel like much, um, a lot of what I'm seeing on screen, much, um, it doesn't really jive all that well with what I'm aware of. So so maybe that's a bit a bit of this where I kind of need to do a bit more educating of, of myself as well, of course. Um, but that's an ongoing process. Uh, certainly this podcast session that we have here is, is a big part of that. On that note, I kind of want to get back to a question that I do have uh, with regards to um, the the Malayan film, because they, you, you mentioned, you know, how some films uh, also uh, have a, a different take at times. So to begin with, it was very much, um, I guess you could say, a Malayan film unit with a strong, I guess uh, you could say, uh, influence by the British. But then as we move closer towards independence, um, there's also a bit of a shift in the approach of the films being made, uh, perhaps moving away from deifying the British, uh, the British to perhaps defying them in a way a little bit. Um, and we see traces of this in in uh, some other films like uh, Merdeka Mission, um, which I will talk a bit more of in a short while. Um, is is there uh, that? How can I say this? Is there a noticeable difference um, that that you can kind of? Um, note here between the films before and after, like when we get closer to independence, it's more like trying to highlight more of the local figures like Tunku Abdul Rahman. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah. You can see a perceptible difference uh, in the way they showed the leaders. Earlier, they did mm. not have any particular leader on screen. They only had community leaders and so on. Like in uh, Hassan's Homecoming, they had a Pengulu but the Pengulu disappears after some time. Mm. 
Mm. Similarly, in uh, Timeless Tamiha, Hussein Abu Anas, the assistant protector of Aborigines, appears at the beginning and then he disappears totally. He takes us into the story. This was to show that even though they were, uh, if, if this was not at the beginning, then people would think that this is what Malaya is. People are still living in the jungle. But by having that scene there, they show that, oh, Malaya is modern. Now, when uh, <clears throat> the British decided that they were going to side with AMNO uh, to lead the country, so we began to see uh, AMNO leaders, uh, MCA and MIC leaders entering the frame, and they created a hero, which was Tengku Abraman. Now, when Templar came, the order was to make Templar the hero of the films, of every film that he was in. So, as you can see in the uh, photo that I had, he has his head outside of the window of the moving frame, and mm. that was a big security issue. He just didn't care. Mm. And then he would just mingle with the crowd. So, he was very, very daring, but he wanted to produce the image that here I am, I'm not scared of the, uh, communists at all, and you should not be. So, he portrayed himself as a, almost like a father figure. So, mm. similarly, when Tengku went on the, uh, for the talks in 1955, now, uh, in hindsight, after going through all these films and then doing my research on the early colonial history, I came to the conclusion that independence was not granted. It was negotiated. Now, during the war, the Labour Party won in London. And mm. Winston Churchill, uh, he was a socialist, was it the Labour Party that won? And uh, on, their agenda, uh, on their agenda was the giving independence to all the uh, countries that they had colonized. Yeah. So it was already on the cards. Mm. It was just a matter of how are we going to go about it because we have our economic interests uh, uh, all over uh, in, those, in those countries. So when uh, the British came back, then we began to see the communists declaring independence. Mm. So their cry was Merdeka. And it was the same clarion call of the leftists. The leftists uh, like KMM, uh, uh, PKMM, API, and so mm. on. So I interviewed a former secretary general of API. Mm. And he told me, you want to know about the real independence? And he told me what actually happened, which has been covered up. We have been given uh, a history that was not correct. There were other people involved and the real independence fighters were the leftists. Uh, and that was the reason why they collaborated with the communists. They did not become communists. But you know what happened? This man, one Hazim, one Din, when yeah. also acted in a Malayan film unit, uh, sorry, a film Negara film, or yeah. Kesah Kampung Kita, and uh, he had acted with Piram Lee. He was on the camera crew with Shaw Brothers. Mm. So I went to interview him about that, and suddenly I found out he was one of the leftists who had been wanted. So uh, uh, what happened was the first thing that the British did was to declare them as public enemy number one. Right. Declare them to be communists. So. Uh, one cousin told me he went to his grandfather's house on Hari Raya Day. Mm. The grandfather was sitting on the chair, so he kneeled and held out his hand. Mm. And the grandfather kicked him and pointed his finger and said, Communist. 
Now, he couldn't take it anymore. And that's why he went to Singapore. Right. And uh, neighbors and relatives stopped coming to their house. So there's a real social stigma here attached to, to that uh, label. Yeah, he and his father. His father was imprisoned by the British mm. so for being a leftist. So you see, Amnos cry was Hidok uh, Melayu, whereas these people were uh, Merdeka. Mm. And then that also got hijacked by Tengku. Mm. And he declared Merdeka. So if we were a pro- protectorate and not colonized, mm. what are you being Merdeka from? Mm. So you see, a lot of things, we, they manipulated everything and hoodwinked the entire Malayan public. Yeah, I think a big part of that has to do with the effectiveness of the MFU films, um, especially a film like... Mission to Merdeka. Yeah, the, this one was filmed in 1956, which um, showed uh, Tunku Abdul Rahman going off to London to kind of negotiate and sign off on the deal for, for the nation's independence. So, so there are obviously attempts here to kind of show him on the equal footing with the British at a time and also, yeah. um, you know, in, in a position of some leadership with uh, not just with the Malaysian students um, in London at the time or, or the Malayan students in London at the time, but also with, uh, uh, you know, on, on his visits to, to Sandhurst, for instance, which, um, you know, it just showed him kind of, you know, being greeted as a, as a special guest of honour, so to speak. So, so that's something that, again, we want to show him to be, as you said earlier, the leader or the hero on screen. I wonder what your reaction was um, to this film, you know, when you saw it the first time uh, back in the, in the 50s. Um, uh, was it one where you kind of like, were you yourself convinced perhaps in a way that Tunku Abdul Rahman could very well be our leader, so to speak? Oh, yes, that's exactly what was uh, being portrayed on the screen. Mm. And we accepted it and we were very proud that we were mm. going to be independent and he is our hero. Mm. It's only later when we are looking at it in a revisionist manner, uh, mm. I, I look at it and uh, want to throw up. Look at this. You can yeah. see how they line up, line up people in Malacca. Yes. Guys, the, 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 what's the word for it? The conquering hero returns. Yeah, yeah. Then he declares independence there, mm. and uh, uh, the Indians come and garland him with uh, mm. uh, rose, uh, with flowers uh, yeah. to show the accept- acceptance of the non-Malay community. Mm. And then uh, he comes down from the uh, plane. So the plane mm. is a magical bird from which the hero alights. Mm. And then you notice in the editing, uh, the British guy is talking. He's seen in an extreme long shot, mm. and cut to Tengku on a medium shot. So you can see the amount of space being utilized on the frame by the, the, the subject. Mm. For Tunku, Tunku is more commanding. Yep. While the British are being, you know, looked down as if looked look down upon. Mm. And uh, then uh, at the end, he, uh, what do you call it, declares independence. And then we have the word Merdeka on the flag itself. So they mm. are identifying independence with not with the country, but with the political party, even though it's mm. not mentioned. Mm. And you see that uh, in the opening shot, where uh, people are uh, gathering to send him off. Yeah. We see the David Marshall there. We see Malays, Chinese, Indians, all sending off the hero and hoping that he will be successful. And in the extreme long shot, uh, taken from somewhere else, 
we have people holding flags and banners and so on, mm. uh, as if they are all uh, gathered there. So you can mm. see towards the end, uh, he gives a speech to the uh, teachers, trainee mm. teachers, uh, and then he goes to see uh, young people being trained at the military academy. That mm. all this is important for us to survive. So we have to be friends with the British. Mm. And at the end, what does he do? He downgrades his own grandfather. He says mm. his grandfather uh, sold off, uh, signed off uh, Penang uh, to the British. So mm. instead of knocking the British, he's knocking the uh, his his own race. True, yeah, but also I think that was part of the speech um, when we said the, the the part about Kedah and Penang and whatnot. Uh, that was part of a speech or an address somewhere uh, just before the end of the film, and we kind of see him kind of speaking to to uh, the Malayan community or the Malayan people at the time yes. in a very firm and direct manner, and it kind of made me wonder. Uh, watching this, this could very well be the first time that a so-called, you know, leader in the sense, you know, a future prime minister in the waiting or something like that, now addressing the Malayan people um, after many years of um, colonial rule, not just by the British, but also by, by other um, colonial forces before that. I, I just wonder, perhaps, in your opinion, could this be perhaps the first time that we see on screen in this way a Malayan leader at the time speaking to the Malayan community as a nation in its own right? I think this was probably after uh, he, uh, he had won in the uh, election huh? and he was, mm -hmm. uh, became the chief minister. Yeah. So uh, he spoke as if he's not the leader of a political party. Mm. It's like a father figure. Yes, like prime minister in a way. Macam, uh, like he, yeah. he, there was one part of the speech where he actually said, you know, we, we have taken back Tanah Melayu from the British. And that was the context in which Penang and Kedah was brought up. So I thought, again, you know, just to show himself, not just as a hero, but, you know, a leader of this newfound or newborn or new, newly identified nation, for the lack of a better term. You know, Malaya has always been there for a while. It's just that now, you know, an independent nation. I think this is perhaps one of the, one of the points that we can look at as, as key um, for, for our purposes. That, for, him, for him at that time, Mm. Uh, he actually wanted the unity of the various races mm. because he was uh, that kind of man. He, you know, he had a Chinese wife uh, and uh, he even adopted Chinese children mm. and so on. So he was that kind of man, but it was because of that they engineered the coup and Razak took over mm. because they were thinking that he was pandering too much to the other races. Mm. Yeah, so... Politics as ever, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, there's a fair amount there that is also quite interesting here. Um, so we're just going to near the end of our discussion for today because I feel like we've covered a fair amount of ground. And there's a lot to mull over and to think about more critically. I think I just want to round off our discussion by asking you, uh, you know, a fair amount of films that we've talked about here, a fair amount of films that, that we have not talked about as well, all of them noteworthy for all sorts of different reasons. Um, I, I kind of want to ask you that perhaps maybe for somebody who's keen to get going with some of these films and they want to pick one film to kind of get started with, um, do you have any suggestions or recommendations for, for them to consider? And, and why would that be that, that film? Yeah, the one film I would uh, 
recommend would be Hassan's homecoming mm. because it not only shows the early culture or beliefs of Malays, but also as to uh, what were the problems that they were facing and how they could overcome it. And it was very clearly shown in this film. And mm. Mohammed Zain Hussein, it was because he was behind it. And later, when we see a series of films that he had made in 1963 called Kesa Kampung Kita, directed mm. by other people, but there were two that the screenplay that he wrote. And there is a, a continuity between Hassan's Homecoming and those films. It will be very interesting just to talk about the, those films later. Mm. Now, in Hassan's Homecoming, the scene begins with the hero uh, coming back to Kedah from Kuala Lumpur, where he had been a policeman. Mm. And he gets off uh, a train, which is a symbol of modernity. Mm. Uh, so, and the way he's dressed in Western dress to show that, you know, it's a bit different from those mm. in the remote villages. And yes. then he discovers that there are a lot of problems. The father is dying and then the uh, siblings are quarreling over the land that's going to be left behind. Mm. And then uh, they don't have enough money to work the land. And mm. then the, it's a Padikuncha system that was in effect at that time mm. where the rich haji uh, would give you uh, seeds but he will demand two or three sacks of rice in return. And ultimately, <laughs> you will have nothing left. Of so course. the whole film was about having a cooperative uh, and how the villagers, uh, the, the paddy planters, uh, could uplift their status if they became members by taking soft loans. So mm. it's very clever. You can see in one uh, place, uh, Piramli, uh, sorry, uh, what's his name? Zain Hussein uh, is uh, showing how the beliefs in Bomo, uh, spiritual healing, was still prevalent. And then mm. he calls, the hero calls in a doctor who actually uh, diagnoses that the mother is suffering from uh, low blood pressure, mm. uh, no, uh, anemia because of not enough nourishing food. Yeah. And then the hero cannot make ends meet and he doesn't know what to do. And mm. here in uh, slide number 48, you mm -hmm. can see very visually how he gives the solution. Mm. So he's walking down the road and uh, appropriately the camera is taking a head-on view with a one-point perspective. The hero mm. is walking towards the camera and in the foreground we see the headman walking on this side of the road. Yes. He too is dressed in western dress, not in the typical Malay dress. That means ah, he has right. emancipated also. And then he looks at uh, uh, the hero and then he stops to ask him, uh, what's the problem? And of course, he tells all his problem. And then he mentions, well, we have a cooperative. Why don't you come and be a member? And everything changes uh, in his life. So this is the journey, uh, Joseph Campbell's journey of the hero. Yes, Very that's right. clearly put across, uh, with visually with a road. And then if you look at slide 49 and 50, mm. you see how the difference in his uh, life uh, is shown, is depicted uh, with a low angle camera, very socialist mm. approach, uh, mm. with the sky dominating. It mm. means that uh, God is looking favorably upon this person who wants mm. to change his fate. And uh, of course, uh, the low angle uh, increases the stature of the person. Yeah. And uh, uh, 
and later we see the whole community coming together to help harvest the paddy. This was before the paddy harvester. harvester. Mm. And then cooking is being done uh, communally and they mm. all sit to have uh, the feast. Uh, as if they are one huge family. So this is what actually happened in those days. Mm. And uh, then uh, they, uh, they still go through the Chinese middlemen. So that has not changed because there are no Malay middlemen yet. And mm. the film ends with them having a nice makan. So <laughs> in those days, just after the war, all that was required was uh, security for the family, food on the table, and everybody is happy. Mm. So that was what uh, being uh, the message that was uh, being bandied across in a lot of the films. Mm. And that was close to the hearts of the populace. Yeah, I mean, highlighting the things that are important to the family and, and whatnot. And of course, mm-hmm. if you know you want to get into the heart of a Malayan or a Malaysian, I think the makan-makan part has to be there lah, one way or another, <laughs> ultimately. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's just about that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, all the time. I think I've covered all the questions that I've wanted to cover. I think um, Encik Hassan has also shared with us a fair amount of, of uh, very useful uh, information and knowledge that I hope will be useful in some shape or form to, to everybody else here. Um, worth bearing in mind, of course, that, you know, this is, as we have mentioned earlier, um, something that's been relatively under-researched compared to a number of other areas. You know, Asan, you yourself said that there's quite a lot of stuff here that, that we've not really uh, covered. I think the slides that you shared with me, you said that's just 10% of what you have. <laughs> so, so plenty more going on here. And then, you know, um, to, to, to kind of like touch base with what other people others, sorry yeah i hope others will carry on uh mm. the areas that are you know there's a lack mm. uh, in the future based on what i have mentioned yeah I, I do feel like you know certainly in the event that we talked about previously um the likes of nadine chan for instance and uh chiu huyan i feel like they are researchers uh, of the academic ilk who will take this a bit further on in their own ways so yes uh very good very good luck I wish to them and to everybody else here. Uh, for now, Nji Asan, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate uh, your, your effort in preparing the slides and, and sharing all this with us. Um, hopefully, I'll catch up with you again very soon. Um, thank you very much, Nji Asan. Okay, pleasure. All right, and thank you to all the listeners who have joined us here as well. Bye, everyone. Everything is okay, I just want to play. I'm living life in airplane mode